So the events that take place, the Last Supper, the supper that Jesus goes and celebrates with his disciples, and you remember they come in arguing with one another as to who's the greatest in the kingdom, and Jesus, he, he disrobes his outer garment, picks up the towel, picks up the basin of water, and then he goes and washes their feet. And you remember that he tells them that an example that I have set to you that I didn't come to be served but to serve. And so we also are to follow him and we are to serve one another. And do you remember that Jesus then announced that one of them is going to betray him and how shocking and stunning that was at, at the dinner? Each of them asking, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And do you remember that Jesus went on to dip the bread, hand it to Judas, and tells Judas that what you do, do quickly. And the disciples didn't put it together, didn't connect that Judas was the one that was betraying him. Judas held the purse, and so they thought that Jesus was just sending him out on an errand to go and to pick up something or arrange something. And Judas departs into the night and Jesus gives his incredible discourse to the disciples. And, and then you'll remember that, that he institutes the, the Lord's table, the new covenant tells him that he won't partake of the fruit of the vine until he partakes of it again with them new in the kingdom and the glorious promise that he gives to them and, and, and they depart they head out Matthew's gospel chapter 26 in verse 30 it says and when they had sung a hymn they went out to the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives that they were in the upper city and they had descended down, crossed the Kidron Valley and then up the Mount of the Olives. And, and that was a place that Jesus had frequented with his disciples. And then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the and sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And, and Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. And we see the heart of Peter. We see the dedication and the commitment that Peter has to the Lord. But we also see the confidence in the flesh that Jesus tells Peter that you are going to deny me before the rooster crows three times and Peter will not receive that truth from the Lord. And sometimes the Lord has hard truths for us. And sometimes we don't want to receive the truth about ourselves as well. And we see Peter 
trusting in his flesh, contradicting the Lord, but seeking to demonstrate his dedication and his commitment to the Lord. Jesus and the disciples, they head over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And amongst the olive trees there on the hillside, Jesus and his disciples uh, enter in. And then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. So we see that Jesus goes in with the 11 and, and he posts the eight. And then he takes Peter, James, and John, and he presses in a little bit further with them. And he began to be sorrowful, it says, and, and deeply distressed. The Lord was in anguish. It was time now for him to take the cup, sins of the world. And he who knew no sin, who had experience from before time was, perfect communion and intimacy with the Father, was going to experience that horrific wrenching of that intimacy as he now takes and drinks the sins of the world. And, and as this moment is now approaching, we see that he is in anguish, he is in distress. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And so here we see that Jesus knows that Judas has departed, that Judas is in the act of betraying him, knows that the soldiers are going to be coming shortly, and that his arrest is imminent. And what does he ask of and Peter, James, and John, watch. Keep a watch. And Jesus now is, is undone. He is sorrowful. Stay here and watch with me. And, and it says, and he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but... But as you will, as the time had come now for the actual partaking of that cup, Jesus asks the father, is there any other way that we can redeem mankind from their sins? Is there a plan B? And, and Jesus is looking for an alternative. The will of the father seems too great, too difficult. And he asks now, is there another way? But notice that he says, is there another way that's still within your will? That is still within your will. I don't want to be disobedient, but I don't want to go to the cross. Is there another way that I can be obedient to you, Father, and I can still rescue mankind from their sin? Mark's gospel gives us another detail that when he falls on his face, that he says, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. 
This is so hard. This is so hard. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto, unto death. Please, Daddy, can we do this a different way? He stands up. It says, and then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. His soul is in anguish. They are coming to arrest him. He asks the three to, to, to watch, keep a watch, keep a watch. And he comes back and, and the three of them are asleep. And he said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? Is weak. Have we not all experienced that? Have we not all experienced the weakness of our flesh? Have we not all experienced the, the desire of the spirit to draw near to the Lord, to, to walk with him with with total commitment and, and to see the, the weakness of our flesh in our lives. And so the, the desire was there, but their flesh, it was late. They had had a, an emotional meal with the Lord. He had told them that he's leaving them. He's told them that he wouldn't leave them as an orphan, that he's going to send them the Holy Spirit, the helper, that it's going to be better for them, that, that if they love them, they should be happy for him because he's going to his father. And They've eaten a big meal. It's late. They're tired. And now suddenly sleep is, is overcoming them. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, then your will be done. As the father has not responded to his initial prayer, Jesus comes back and, and once again asking if, if the cup can pass, but if it cannot pass away then your will be done. Jesus' entire life was focused on fulfilling the scriptures and doing the will of the Father. Perfect submission to the will of the Father. Perfect submission to the plan of God for the life of Christ. And we see that God has a perfect will for your life. He knows the plans that he has for you and and it is up to us then to surrender ourselves, to submit to that will in our life. And, and there are times when that will in our lives brings us to the place of Gethsemane. It brings us to a place where the flesh is absolutely recoiling from, from what God is asking us to endure, to go through, to get victory over, to suffer. And yet... There are lessons in suffering that can't be learned any other way. And it is a compassionate Father that allows those trials in our lives to remove the things that are detrimental to our relationship with Him. And just as it was the compassion, the heart of God that, 
did not take the cup away from Jesus. It is the compassionate heart of the Father that oftentimes will not remove that which we are asking to be delivered from until it has achieved its holy, perfect purpose. Jesus surrenders to that. He submits to it. He asks, but then he submits to the will of the Father. It says, and he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Their eyes were heavy. They were trying to watch, but their eyes were heavy. Jesus tells us to watch for his return. Jesus tells us to be ready, to keep looking, to keep looking up. And I wonder if there aren't times when our eyes get heavy, where our eyes get heavy with the cares of this world, the busyness of life, the distractions that are taking place, and, and our eyes get heavy. Watch, Jesus said to his disciples. Watch, the Lord says to us. Keep watching. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep looking up. Your redemption draws nigh. He left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And, and then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? And behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The Gospels tell us that Judas then leads the soldiers, temple guards, and torches, weapons, and they come now to arrest Jesus. The Gospels tell us that Judas had arranged for a signal as they come into the garden. There's no lights there. There would only be torchlight, and that would very dimly light up the area. And so how to identify Jesus amongst the, the possible number of people that would be there, certainly from the disciples. And so Judas had arranged to kiss the Lord. And he comes up and he greets him, Rabbi. And he gives him a kiss. And Jesus says to Judas, do you betray me, Judas, with a kiss? A symbol of affection. A sign of, of allegiance. Loyalty, love. And yet Judas uses that symbol, that sign to identify the Lord in his betrayal. We see that there is a brief scuffle. Peter is going to defend the Lord and pulls out his sword and swings it and chops off the high priest's ear, Malchus, and Jesus picks up the ear and puts it back on the servant's head and tells Peter to put the sword away. Don't you realize I could call down 12 legions of angels? And so Jesus is arrested 
he is taken from the Garden of Gethsemane back into the city, back across the Kidron Valley, back up the Temple Mount and into the city. He's taken to the palace of the high priest and he's brought before Annas. And Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the official high priest. But the office of high priest was to be for life. And Rome didn't like having that much authority given over to one person. And, and, and so they removed Annas as the high priest. And, and so Annas appointed his son. And after a period of time, Rome removed his son. So Caiaphas appointed his next son. <laughs> and Rome removed him. And Annas appointed his third son and after he ran out of sons he moved on to his son-in-laws and Caiaphas was his son-in-law but the people all respected Annas as the high priest though the functioning official head was Caiaphas he's brought before Annas his first trial and Annas questions him about his followers, about his doctrine assesses the political threat of Jesus. And Jesus tells Annas that everything that he has ever taught and said has been done publicly. He's free to ask anybody that has heard him the answers to those questions. And the guard smites Jesus in the mouth. And Jesus answers, if I have done something wrong, then tell me what I have done wrong. And if I have done nothing wrong, then why have you smitten me? Annas turns Jesus over to Caiaphas, and Caiaphas now seeks to bring charges against Jesus and brings a, a litany of various different people giving testimony, but the testimony has to be corroborated by two or more, and no, one, no one's stories agreed with anybody else's stories. And, and so, finally, as Jesus would not answer a word in his own defense, Caiaphas, the high priest, stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. And again, the high priest asked him, saying, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. And then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. And so, Jesus is in the morning brought before Pilate. 
And Pilate has an uncomfortable relationship with the religious leaders. And Pilate senses as they bring Jesus to Pilate, asking Pilate to try him and that he is deserving of death. He tells them to try him themselves. And they say, we're not allowed to put anybody to death underneath Roman law. You have to. And so Pilate immediately recognizes that this is not authentic. And he wants no part of it. He remembers that Herod is in town and that Jesus is called a Galilean and Herod is in charge of the territory of Galilee. And, and so Pilate sends Jesus over to Herod. <coughs> but when Jesus is before Herod, Jesus answers him not a word. And finally, Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate again. The religious leaders are stirring the people up. They want Jesus crucified. And Pilate remembers that at the feast that he's able to deliver a prisoner to the people. And Pilate sees this as an opportunity to go around the religious leaders, knows that Jesus is massively popular with the people. And if he asks the people which prisoner they want, and Jesus is one of the choices, then certainly they're going to pick Jesus and Pilate is going to be off the hook. In the meantime, Pilate's wife warns him that she's had a dream about Jesus and have nothing to do with this righteous man. And Pilate is feeling the heat even more. He brings out Barabbas and Jesus, invites the people to make a choice. And Barabbas is a scoundrel. And, but the religious leaders prompt the people, stir the people up to ask for the release of Barabbas. And they sidestep Pilate's attempt to evade and so, Pilate delivers Barabbas to the people and, and then he pleads with the crowd. Let me scourge him and give him a lesson and But the people cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate pleads, why? What has he done? He's done nothing deserving of death. But the people just cry out all the louder, crucify him. And they're on the verge of rioting. And Pilate can't tolerate another riot. He's on thin ice with Rome. And so, He caves, calls for a basin of water, washes his hands, says, I want you to know I'm innocent of this man's blood. And the people cry, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. 
Mark's gospel says, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium and they called together the whole garrison and they clothed him with purple and they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. Isaiah chapter 50. I offered my back to those who beat me. My cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Luke's gospel chapter 23 in verse 26, it says, Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that they might bear it after Jesus. It was time for Jesus to carry the cross outside of the city. They always crucified outside of the city. In as public a place outside of the city as possible, and they would force the person to be crucified to walk the long way through the city carrying the crossbar as a way of discouraging others from crossing the mighty will of Rome. The crossbar weighed a between 80 and 110 pounds, roughly. Jesus has been without sleep. He has been beaten. He is dehydrated. He has lost a lot of blood from the scourging and from the beating. And he is unable to carry that crossbar all the way to the place where he will be crucified. And so a Roman soldier could at any point enlist the help of anybody walking by by simply taking the blade of his sword and putting it on your shoulder. And you were compelled now by that Roman soldier. And so Simon the Cyrenian is there for the feast of Passover. And the next thing he knows, there's a Roman blade on his shoulder. And he's compelled carry the cross. And a great multitude of the people followed him and women who also mourned and lamented him. And here is Jesus moving through the streets. And, and it says, but Jesus turning to them said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves. And for your children, for indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. And then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? 
as the women were weeping for Jesus, Jesus once again, the compassion in his heart sees the destruction of Jerusalem that is coming in the future. The suffering of the children when Rome, Titus, sieges in Jerusalem will cut off the food supply. And the weak and the children will die first. And the parents will suffer the agony of watching their children starve without any recourse. And Jesus prays for them. There were also two others, criminals, led with them to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, Calvary, That word is a Latin word. It means skull. Calvary Chapel. It's actually Skull Chapel. <laughs> but to the place of the skull, to the place of Golgotha, to the place of Calvary. And Luke says, and there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Psalm 22, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They would Lay the cross down. They would stretch you out, cross your feet. They would drive one thick spike through both of your feet into the cross itself. They would then stretch out each arm and drive the spike through the wrist. And then they would tilt it up into the spot that they have dug out and the cross would then slide in and hit. And they would secure it with rocks. And you were crucified. It was not an invention of the Romans, but it was said that the Romans perfected it. It was the most horrible way to die that was imaginable. It was reserved just for the worst of the criminals. To send a message. It was a deterrent against uprising or flexing against Rome. And so Jesus bore our sins on that cross and was crucified. And as Jesus is on the cross, he is crucified about nine o'clock in the morning. And as Jesus is hanging there upon the cross, Luke's gospel tells us that he intercedes 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Jesus said that we're to love. Love God and love others. And Jesus said that you're to love all the way to your enemies. To love your enemies. Those that hate you. Those people that persecute you. And Jesus didn't just speak these words. Jesus lived these words out. They're on the cross as they are crucifying him. He is praying that the Father would not hold that sin against them because they were doing it ignorantly. They had no idea what they were doing. And Jesus is praying for the very men that are crucifying him. You remember the two thieves on each side. And, and you remember that <coughs> there was the the sarcasm of the one, save yourself and save us <laughs> with you. And the one thief says to the other, we're getting what we deserve, but he's done nothing. Leave him alone. And that thief puts his trust in Jesus. When you enter into your kingdom, will you remember me? And while Jesus is there upon the cross, he says, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' mother is at his crucifixion. I can't even begin to wrap my mind around that. The mother that bore him, Mother that carried him around as an infant, nursed him, taught him to walk, raised him his whole life. And now she's standing at the foot of the cross, watching him die. John, the apostle, is there also. And Jesus is still loving others. He's prayed and interceded for the, those that were crucifying him. Ministering to the thief on the cross. And now the third thing that Jesus says. John's gospel records that when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, Behold your son. And Jesus wasn't talking about himself. Jesus was now talking about the Apostle John. Woman, behold your, your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Jesus was concerned with the welfare of his mother after his departure, and so he entrusts her care to the apostle there at the cross. And so three hours, Jesus hangs on that cross, and 
and it's daylight until noon. And at noon, Luke records that now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Mark's gospel tells us that Then at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The darkness of the land, the sin of the world upon Jesus and the Father turning his face away from the Lord and breaking that intimacy, that communion of fellowship. And Jesus now experiences that separation. Isaiah 59.2 tells us that sin causes separation from God. And so the darkness, and notice the words of Jesus when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the first time that Jesus does not address God as his father. Does not address him as his father. John's gospel tells us that after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. I thirst. Having suffered from the beatings and the flogging, the severe dehydration and the loss of blood. His tongue swells in his mouth. He thirsts. Psalm 22, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. The cry of physical suffering, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. And so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Totelestai. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The sour wine is the wine vinegar. It is contains yeast, and yeast is the typology of sin. And you remember that the backdrop is the Passover. And you remember at the Passover that they were to slaughter the lamb, take a branch of hyssop, dip it in the blood of the lamb, and then they were to put it over the doorposts, over the wooden doorposts. And here you see the hyssop with now the sin of the world touching the lips of Jesus and the blood of Jesus there upon the wooden cross. And you see the typology 
of the fulfillment of the Passover as Jesus is there upon the cross. And then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus earlier he said, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. And I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And this command I received uh, from my father. And so Jesus, with a loud voice, not with a weak, waning voice, but now with a loud voice, says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned, but... All his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. You remember that the order is given to come and to break the legs as it is now getting close to sundown and the bodies had it to be off the cross by sundown and so the breaking of the legs would speed up the, the death but when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. They thrust a spear into his side to make sure and water and blood poured out. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, that not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, and they shall look on him whom they pierced. Now behold, there was a man named Josephus, or Joseph, a council member, a good and just man, and he had not consented to their decision indeed, and he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. And he goes to Pilate, and he asks for the body. He took it down, help from Nicodemus, wraps it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. And that day was the preparation. The Sabbath day drew near, and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after and observed the tomb and how his body was laid. crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus said, no greater love is a man than this than he would lay down his life for his friend. The disciples have fled. 
Peter denies Jesus. Judas betrays Jesus. They can't believe that he is dead. And the sun goes down and everybody heads to their homes. It is now the Sabbath. Friday night to Saturday night. And so in a place of confusion and pain and heartbreak to go back to their houses. Zechariah tells us, and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And then they will look on me whom they pierced. And yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And one will say to him, what are those wounds between your arms? And then he will answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. The communion table is a reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus paid for you and for me. Our sin separated us from the Father. And so each and every one of us needed to have our sins not just the sins of the world, but your sins washed. And Christ died for your sins. And he took every single one of your failures, every single time that you hurt somebody, every single time that you broke the will of the Father in your life and disobeyed his moral commandments. He took every single one of those blemishes, those spots, those failures, those infidelities, and he bore it on the cross for you. That he might take his shed blood and wash you and make you white as snow. It wasn't that he just disrobed himself of his glory and came to earth. But born in a manger, in a stable, placed in a manger. The absolute humility to demonstrate his approachability that he's the savior for every single one of us. That there is none that cannot approach him. And it wasn't just that he laid his life down. No greater love is a man than this than he lays down his life for his friend. But he laid down his life on the cross. The most painful form of death possible. And he did that to send you 
one very clear message. You are loved. I love you. I paid the price for your failures. And you now can be robed in my righteousness and spend all eternity with me forever. The cross, my sin upon the cross, every single one of my sins, God, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And the cross is a reminder that today is a new day, that it is a day of recommitment, that it is a day of recognizing how much you're loved. It's a day of surrender to the will of the Father, the Garden of Gethsemane, your own garden, your own battle between the flesh and the spirit. As Jesus said, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Meditating upon the cross, the reality of it, the horror of it, the blessing of it, the beauty of it. Jesus said, die to your flesh daily. Pick up your cross, your cross the will of the Father for you and follow me. And Jesus followed the will of the Father to the cross and to the grave. But he would defeat both. For the tomb that he went in was a tomb that he only needed to borrow. But that's the rest of the story. At that last supper that he had so earnestly desired to eat with his disciples, as they were eating, Jesus and took bread and he blessed and broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. He's telling us to partake of his body to partake of the brokenness of his body upon that cross and how the breaking of his body brought healing to ours that by his stripes we are healed. Let's commemorate and partake of the body of Christ. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The cup of the new covenant. Let's partake of the cup.
down the Via Dolorosa called the Way of Suffering, like a lamb came the Messiah, Christ the King. But he chose to walk that road out of his love for you and me down the Via Dolorosa all the way to Calvary. Tonight commemorates the night that Jesus was hastily taken down from the cross placed into a tomb. The stone was rolled over it. The religious leaders were concerned that that his body would try to be stolen. and So they went to Pilate and asked for guards to be posted and for it to be sealed. And, and so it was secured. Guards were posted. And Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His body lay inside of that tomb. Let's commemorate. Let's reflect. Let's be impacted by that great love that held Jesus on that cross. For it wasn't nails but it was love that held Jesus on that cross. His love for you. You are loved. We are loved. We are loved. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so, Father, bless this Good Friday. Lord, may we have a fresh glimpse of the amount of love that it took to hold you on that cross, that infinite love that you have, that infinite forgiveness, that infinite grace, that infinite mercy. And so, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.